people, but I really felt this in my spirit this past week, and it's this. What we see as an obstacle or hurdle, God sees as an opportunity. What we see as an obstacle or hurdle, God sees as an opportunity. All you have to do is begin to read the Bible. Just begin reading anywhere, and eventually you're going to run into a story where somebody was in a bind. They were in a situation, and many times it was life and death, and they called on the Lord and not only did God save them, but he got much glory in that situation. So I just want to encourage you, it doesn't matter what you're going through this morning or this week or with your job or with your family or with the school system, what, God, what we see as a hurdle or obstacle, God sees as an opportunity. And, and I shared this on a live video, I think, um, a couple of days ago, but there was a point in, in our, in our um, church history when one morning a lot of people didn't show up to, on time and some people didn't show up to volunteer. And I'm like, Lord, how are we going to... How are we going to get, how are we going to do this? We got need people to set up these things and this and that. And I felt really strongly that the Lord uh, said, you never need again, Josh, to ask me if I'll provide. He said, you need to ask me, how am I going to provide? You know that I'm a provider. So, I, so ask me, how can I use these few loaves and few fishes that, I, that I've given you to provide for all these people? And so God, you're going to be, ta- I just want to encourage you out there. If you've been, if you've been stressing out this past week about, everything going on, I just want to encourage you, God has a plan for you, and he's going to work it out. All you have to do is look to him and seek him, and he will work it out. Amen? Um, You know, I was watching, and specifically, this is an opportunity for the churches around the world um, to to go ahead and uh, use uh, Facebook live stream online. You know, the internet is all around the world now, and so this is an opportunity, and I was actually listening to a pastor on Instagram and he was doing another um, kind of discussion with another pastor on, on this live feed. And he was saying how he did a video like the day before that and how that video had had like three times the number of views than normal. And I just, it's funny, I just heard literally like a, a minute, maybe 30 seconds of that whole thing. And it's funny how that was highlighted to me and just encouraged me is that, that there are people that are going to be watching. And we're going to be able to use this as a tool to, um, to reach a lot of people. So I want to just briefly mention small groups, and Elsa did a great job of, of covering that. Um, if you've been coming to Kingdom any length of time, you know how passionate I am about small groups. Really, uh, Sunday morning service is only half of what I believe that Kingdom offers. Now, on Sunday morning, uh, on Sunday morning you, you're able to listen to live worship, you're able to hear a corporate word, you're able to come together and worship together, but you really don't get that one-on-one connection that we all need. We all need how many of y'all need Close relationships. This is why we get married. This is why we have kids, because we want to have close relationship with people. Small groups is that for the church. And I just want to tell you our mission real quick. Our mission for small groups is to create a space where relationships can grow and people are challenged to take the next step. And, and I'm not going to read it right now, but Acts 2 verses 41 through 47 talks about how after on the day of Pentecost, after Peter, Peter preached this message, that, they begin, that the church began to come to it. Actually, I'm going to read. I, I wasn't telling the truth. Acts 2, 42. I just want to read this real quickly. It says, and this is after the day of Pentecost, after Jesus had given the church 3,000 new believers, it says, and all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Look at that. If you, if you listen carefully, this is exactly what we find in a small group. We find the apostles' teaching. We have a Bible study. We go through the Word. We learn the truth. Uh, we have fellowship. Hopefully, we share a meal together. That's an important element in small groups. 
and we pray. That's a small group. And it goes on to say that they met daily, not only from house to house, but also in the temple. And I know that we're living in different times. The cities were smaller back then. But um, they were, they were, um, they made sure that they met, they were intentional about getting together. And I, and I believe, the Bible says that 3,000 people were added to the church that day and that the church began to grow. Uh, verse 47, the church began to grow. I really believe that we as a church have an opportunity to really invest in our small groups and see the church go. This is how the church grew. And so I, that's why I really believe that this is only one half of what we offer at Kingdom as a Sunday morning service and then small groups. And I want to actually, I want to challenge you. Look at verses 44 through 45. It says, And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. This is one of the, this is one of the elements of the early church. And this, this sounds very different than what many of us are used to. And, but the church was interested in taking care of one another. And I might be talking to somebody, somebody right now that this, that the, the, that this coronavirus and, and the economy has affected your livelihood. It's affected, some, I know several people have lost their job the last couple of weeks. I've known people who are not going to be able to work because of what's going on. So this has absolutely affected you. Church, it's our time to help those in need. And I want to I say this, there is a grace to do it. What does that mean? That means that God has given us power to the, meet the needs of those around us. Now you may say, "Hey, it may not." Hey, you may say this this uh, this pandemic and, and the economy may not have affected me as hard as my brother next to me. But hey, I'm still there's still I still have to provide for my family. I just want to encourage you that you are not the provider of your family. God is. God is our provider. This is why we can um, uh, take courage and not fear because God is our provider. And I believe that God has given us the grace to care for the needs of those around us. So I just want to encourage you this week, ask the Holy Spirit, and this is our vision, to know Jesus, hear his voice, and follow him. Ask Jesus, Jesus, how can I meet the needs of the people that are around me? I promise you God is going to provide some miraculous uh, events to take place where you can meet the needs of those around you. So there's grace for it. Amen. So last week we talked about overcoming fear and I'm gonna I'm gonna talk I'm gonna touch on that, but I really believe we need to continue to talk about this because I have um, talked with several people I've seen, and many of us have seen posts on Instagram, on Facebook, social media, Twitter, where people are freaking out and um, they're they're trying to figure out what's gonna happen to me. How am I am I gonna be okay? And so I really believe that we need to continue to talk about that. Just just today, we'll see what happens next week. So. As I said, all of us have experienced fear to some degree this past week. Would you all agree? Now, it, maybe not full, full-fledged panic attack, but all of us have had this thought, am I going to be okay? Am I going to be able to take care of my family? Am I going to be able to take care of my employees? Am I going to be able to take care of the people around me? All of us have, have done that. And I mentioned, you know, the price of oil dropped right before uh, the coronavirus really hit this area and hit um, this part of the country. And so we, a lot of us are, are, that's affecting us. And many of y'all were here last week. I talked about my knee. Um, it's, I guess it's already been almost two weeks. Uh, yeah, two weeks. Sunday, two weeks ago on Sunday, I hurt my knee. And I went to see a doctor. I'm walking around better today, but the, doc, the, the doctor said that he thinks I tore my ACL. And so in the middle, I'm like, man, Lord, we're having, we're, this coronavirus is affecting us. The, the, the price of oil is affecting the community. My knee was hurt. Lord, no, what's going on? 
And there was, there was absolutely an opportunity, a temptation for me to fear. And I had to really take these things before the Lord the way that all of us are doing. And so there are plenty of reasons to, to fear today. But I just, want, I just want to remind you of something. Fear is our enemies, one of our enemies' greatest tools to lie to you. This is how the enemy attacks us. This is how he wages war against us. He lies to us. God speaks truth to us so that we walk in freedom, but the devil lies to us so that we're taken in bondage. The devil uses fear to spread his lies. I want to make sure that you're following me. The devil uses fear to spread his lies. So what happens whenever we're going through something? Whenever a situation comes up, the devil paints a picture about the situation that you're going through, and he says, and he begins to say this to you, you're not going to be okay. You need to do something, you need to, you need to do something about this. That coworker that's been that's been messing with you and been affecting your job, you need to get up and say something to them. You need to take matters into your own hands. Hey, the economy is really crazy. You need to you need to look for another job or you need to do this or you need to make these drastic changes. Fear is the enemy's way to get us to believe that we're not going to be okay. That's how he does it. And so we have to be aware of this. Fear is trying to convince us that God isn't big enough to take care of us. That's what fear, well, this is what the enemy is trying to do. He's trying to tell you that, hey, yeah, yes, God loves you, but he's really, he doesn't really care enough about you to take care of you in the situation. Fear is saying that God is not big enough to take care of you. If we can just get that in our mind, that God is going to take care of us in any situation, then do you think fear will affect us? Not as much. We, this is how truth sets us free. It combats that lie, puts that lie to rest so that we don't begin to react. I want to say this, anytime we dwell in fear and react because of fear, we have actually been counseled by the spirit of fear and not the spirit of God. Think, just think this past week, this, we're in the middle of this kind of crazy season in our lives. Just think back to this past week, this weekend, the week before. How have you been reacting? Have you been like many of us running to the grocery stores, stocking up on toilet paper? If you, I, I, I know the stores may not have toilet paper, but I know you have toilet paper. So when I run out, I'm going to go to you guys. And I'm, you're going to give me a roll, okay? Um, <laughs> kidding, not kidding. Um, so um, if you have been reacting in fear this past week, you have been counseled by the spirit of fear. Remember, fear is not just a feeling. Fear is a person. It's a, it's a demonic spirit from the devil in the devil's kingdom that, is, that the devil's wanting to use to make us believe that we're not going to be okay and that God is not big enough. Church, can I just put that light to rest? God is big enough to take care of you. He is big enough. I was, I was, doing, that, I was doing that video this past week, and I mentioned this, but did you know the children of Israel, and, and I did a little research, the, the numbers are not consistent from scholar to scholar, but there are between... Two million to three, four million Jews that, G, that God took care of while they were in the wilderness. He said he gave them manna every day for 40 years. And check this out. He did it for people who were disobedient. They were disobedient. Remember, they came up to the, prom- they came up to the promised land and they were fearful and God didn't let them in. He took care of his people even though they weren't trusting him completely. God is able to provide for you. Again, why do we fear anything? Because there's a chance we might not be okay. So what do we do? And many of us, we probably, many of us have probably gone through some of these stages. Hopefully not all of them. 
What, what happened when we first heard that the coronavirus came uh, to, um, came to, where was it, Crane, or came to, came to San Antonio? Yeah, it was in China, but then it, it came to the United States, and it came to San Antonio, and then now it's in Crane, and maybe it's here. What do we do? At first, we were nervous, right? We were nervous a little bit, but, and then our, our nervousness turned to a little bit of anxiety, right? Hey, are we going to be okay? And then some of us took it a little bit further. We became fearful. And if we dwelled on that belief that we were possibly not going to be okay, some of us began to experience panic. And what happens when you panic? How many of you all have panicked before and you did some pretty dumb things? This is how fear works. It causes us to do things that are out of character and do things uh, showing ourselves and showing everyone around us, including the Lord, that God is not big enough to take care of us. God is wanting to conquer fear in us because fear will stop God's plan for our lives quicker than anything else. I want you to hear that again. Fear will stop God's plan for your life quicker than anything else. Why? Because fear is saying, fear is saying you don't trust God. That's, fear keeps you from trusting God. So if God, if we don't trust God, do you think God will trust us with certain things? No, he'll now, we're God's children, and this is one of the reasons why God provides, because we're his father. I mean, he's our father. We're his, we're his children. If we know he's our father, he will take care of us. But many of us have kids. How many of you will not give your kids something unless they prove themselves that they can take care of that thing, right? God's the same way. You're not going to abandon your kids. You're just not going to give them certain things that, they, that you want them to have so that they can help other people. God is the same way. We have to learn to trust God. If we can learn to conquer fear, then God will give us these, thing, give us these things. The promised land represents in the Bible the overcoming life. Um, Egypt was bondage, was uh, not being saved. The Red Sea was baptism. The wilderness was, uh, was the, pl- the place that the children of Israel went into, and then they went to the promised land. The promised land represents the overcoming Christian life. The reason they could not enter the promised land is because they didn't trust God. And so I just want to encourage you, God wants to conquer fear in your life this morning, this week, and whatever we, whatever we come across in the, coming, in the coming months, God wants to conquer it so that you can walk in peace, walk in joy. I want to quickly tell, us, tell you a story. If you have your Bible, turn to 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 8 through 23. Now, this is a story about a man named Elisha. Elisha was a prophet um, in, the, in the Old Testament. He, he um, succeeded Elijah, and the Bible says he had a double portion of God's spirit put on him, so he actually did double the miracles that Elijah did. And so this is a story about uh, the, the nation of Israel being at war with somebody, and Elisha would hear words from the Lord and tell the king of Israel how the king of Aram was going to attack him. And so because Israel had this, had this inside information, they were able to um, to avoid any conflict with their enemies. So I want to pick up with verse 8. It says, When the king of Aram was at war with Israel, he would confer with his officers and say, We will mobilize our forces at such and such a place. But immediately, Elisha the man of God would warn the king of Israel, Do not go near that place, for the Armenians are planning to mobilize their troops there. So the king of Israel would send word to the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he would be on the alert there. The king of Aram obviously became very upset over this. He called his officers together and demanded, which of you is the traitor? Which of you is going to the king of Israel and telling them our plans? Who is it? The officer said, it's not us, my lord, the king. Elisha, the prophet in Israel, 
tells the king of Israel even the words you speak in the privacy of your bedroom. The king commanded, go out and find out where this man is. We're going to take care of him so that we can conquer Israel. And the report came back, to, came back, Elisha is at Dothan. He was at this little village. And so the king of Aram said, hey, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to, I'm going to find Elisha. I'm going to kill him. Verse 14, so one night the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. The servant, Elisha's servant, got up that morning. I'm sure he, he thought, hey, we've been, we've been avoiding the enemy all these, all these, um, all, all these, uh, these months and years, and I'm, I'm just going to get up. I'm going to go about my daily business. So imagine his surprise when he gets up and he sees the enemy around him. And it says that, the, that there were many chariots, many horses, and I'm sure even more men surrounding the city. When the servant of the man got up, it says, he told Elisha, sir, what shall we do? The young man cried to Elisha. And I just want to pause here for a second. Many of us are at this place and we're saying, God, what are we going to do? The economy is affecting my family. It's affecting this, this, the Permian Basin rises and falls with the oil. And the oil is down. And on top of that, we got a virus that's scaring everybody. What are we going to do? So I just want to, I just want to, ask, I want to ask you to ask yourself this question. Have I been internally saying, what am I going to do? Have we been walking around questioning whether we're going to be okay or not? This is what Elisha told him. Don't be afraid. Why? For there are more on our side than on theirs. Did you know there are more people on your side than on the enemy's side? Did you know that the economy does not have the power to d- dictate whether or not you can provide for your family? Did you know that? Only God, the God says there are more. Did you know that a third of the angels were kicked out of heaven? That means there are two-third angels that are still on God's side. There are twice as many people for us. Not only that, God is for us. Our Father is for us. Elisha says, do not fear for there are more on our side than theirs. And then Elisha prays this very interesting prayer. He says, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. And he says, The Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. And I felt this really strongly as I was getting ready for this message. I just feel like the Lord needed me to really challenge a few people and say, It is time that we start walking by faith and not by what we see. It's time for us to begin to assess our situations, not by what is happening in front of us, by what we know is true. Was there a huge army there trying to kill Elisha and his servant? Yes. Walking in faith is not saying there is nothing to fear or nothing to worry about. It's saying that it is not our responsibility to worry or fear it. It's not saying, I'm going to walk in faith and I'm not, I'm not going to pretend nothing's happening. No, that's not walking in faith. Walking in faith is acknowledging what's standing in front of us, but knowing that there is someone who loves us more than anything and he's going to provide for us no matter what. Walking by faith is acknowledging God is bigger than our fear and big enough to handle our problem. And I, and I, felt, and I felt this as well, that there are some of us, and this, this phrase just kept coming to my mind, but I'm speaking to ladies right now. Ladies, it's time for us to walk in faith. 
and believe that our husbands are going to serve the Lord and not look at how they're responding to the Lord in this season, but you're going to, love, you're going to respect them and honor them the way the Lord has called you to honor them. And when you do that, God will intervene on your behalf. That is walking in faith. That's not walking in fear or walking in disappointment. It's saying, God, I'm going to treat the people around me the way you want me to treat them, and I believe you're going to take care of them. Husbands, it's saying, I'm going to love my wife even though she hasn't respected me one day in two years, in three years, in five years. I'm going to, I'm going to love her. I'm going to lead her the way you're calling me to lead. It's saying my kids are, 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 are they're misbehaving and they're doing these things, but I'm going to walk in faith. I'm going to discipline them. I'm going to love them. I'm going to be patient with them even though I don't see anything happening. Church, it's time for us to walk by faith. We are the church. The Bible says we are the light of the world, a city set on the hill. We are the people that the world is looking to. If we do not stand up, what model are they going to look, look to to model their lives after? It's time for us to begin to walk by faith and not by what we see. It's time for us to take our eyes off of the price of, of oil, how much a barrel of oil is, and look at our Father. God will provide for us. It's time for us to see the chariots of fire that are around the enemy. Yes, the enemy is here. Yes, the enemy is present. I believe that the enemy is in your the living room. He's in your bedroom. He's trying to tell you why, what I'm saying is not true. But I want to tell you this morning that if God is for you, who can be against you? There is no one who can come against you. It's time for us to stop being counseled by the spirit of fear and walk in faith knowing who our God is. We have to know who our God is. God is mighty. He's powerful. He can take care of us. Fear demands a reaction. Faith encourages patience. Fear right now is telling you you have to do something. That's not faith. Faith is patient. Faith is slow. Faith says, I'm going to wait on the Lord to move, and then I'll move. Remember last week we looked at how we overcome fear. I'm not going to read it, but Philippians 4, 6, and 7, there were three points. How do you overcome fear? Understand that God is for you. Number two, tell God how you feel. And number three, don't move until the fear is gone and God's peace arrives. See, we can, we can live uh, making faith-based decisions or fear-based decisions. When you make fear-based decisions, you're looking at your situation and you're forced to do something. You're forced to take action. Faith does not work that way. So if you've been making decisions and you feel like you've been, have, you've been forced to because you don't know if you're going to have food in your pantry or food in your refrigerator, you're operating out of fear. Faith is, saying, it's, faith is saying, God, what do you want me to do? Again, this is our vision, to know Jesus, hear his voice, and follow him. Um, Jesus didn't do, did you know that Jesus didn't say or do anything unless he first heard the Father say it or he saw the Father do it? This is how Jesus lived, and I believe this is how Jesus was able to go to the cross because he said, I don't do anything of my own accord, meaning he, doesn't, he didn't come up with any ideas himself. He only said and did what the Father asked him to say or do. He had his eyes on him. He didn't look at the people around him who were following him or the people who were using him. He said, Father, I'm here to do your will. He says, I can do nothing on my own. We, if we're going to get through this time, and we're going to get through it one way or, one way or another. Now, whether we get through it in peace or whether we get through it in fear is up to us. But I believe that if we're going to get through the situation in peace, with joy, trusting the Lord, having peace in the middle of this raging storm, then we have to begin to combat fear and walk in peace and wait for the Lord to move. Now, how does this, I want to end with this. How does this happen? Now, you may be saying, Josh, I want that. I, I really want to be able to, um, to walk in, in faith and not walk in fear. But it's, it's not that easy. I tried to. Now, there, so I want to tell you, there is a way to do it. Look, if you have your Bible, turn to 50, Psalm 56, verses 3 through 4. And it's on the screens. It says, when I am afraid, 
I put my trust in you. This is a psalm from David. He says, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? Amen. So he wrote this, and we all want to be able to say this, right? When I'm afraid, I will put my trust in you. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? We all want to be able to say that, not just from our heads, but actually feel it. Did you know that these aren't the only two verses in that, in, that, in that chapter? There are actually 13 other verses. And did you know this isn't the only psalm that David wrote? He actually wrote 73 other psalms. What does that tell me? That David was in constant communication with God. How are you going to overcome fear? How are you going to be able to pan something like this? Hey, when I'm afraid, I'm going to put my trust in you. When I'm afraid, when I'm, afraid I'm going to look to you. I will not be afraid. How are we going to be able to do this? We have to spend time with our Father. I really believe that's how David was able to say this because he didn't just... Get up one morning and then the economy falls apart and say, God, when I'm afraid, I'm going to put my trust in you and that's it. No, he regularly spent time with God. And if we're going to transition from fear to enjoying peace, we have to spend time with him. And you all know this. If you're in a relationship with, with anyone, when, when somebody spends time with you, how, how much do you begin to trust them? You begin to trust them more and more, even daily. You begin to trust them with your feelings and your emotions in your life. God is the same way. If we, only visit, if we only talk to him in the morning one time or on Sunday morning or when we, when we eat our food, do you think we're going to be able to experience God's peace? We're not. This is how we transition. Isaiah 26, verse 3 through 4 says, You will keep him in perfect peace, all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Trust in the Lord always, for the Lord God is the eternal rock. He says, you keep those in peace whose thoughts are fixed on you. Those whose thoughts are fixed on you. I want to ask you, what do you think about every day? What is on the forefront of your mind all day? I know there was a season in my life where I was constantly checking my, my, my bank account app, and, I'm, and I was looking at this, and I, and I feel like the Lord said, Josh, you are fixed too much on what's in your account. Because what you're actually saying is that that account can provide for you and not me. What are we fixing our thoughts on every day? This is my personal testimony. I remember when I was, um, when I was a, a young youth pastor, I was 18, you know, I loved the Lord and I was serving the Lord and, and, and I, I remember spending 15, 16, 17 years old just, just being, spending a couple hours with the Lord every evening. And, but the truth was, is I wasn't, I wasn't um, reading the Bible and that, that's kind of always been the harder thing. I love just being in God's presence, but when it gets to coming into the Word, that's, that's a challenge for me. For some of you, I might be opposite, it's easier for you to read the Word and not as easy for you to pray. And so I remember I was, I loved the Lord, but I had a hard time reading my Bible consistently every day. And I remember there were weeks, and I loved, and if you, there, there, are some, there are some people that, that come to church that I was your youth pastor. You know I loved you, but the truth was I was only reading my Bible when I was studying. And I remember that really bothered me because I know that that shouldn't happen. And just, just to pause real quick, just because you love the Lord and you feel your love doesn't mean you're expressing love for him. The Bible says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And so I was trying, I was trying to do, and I just couldn't, I couldn't, and I was praying in the evenings, and the Lord was saying, I want you to visit with me in the mornings, and I wasn't, and I wasn't doing it, and I was like, Lord, I know I need to do this. And then finally, I had to come to a place where I, where I just, I, I felt like the Lord just, just made me make this commitment to where if I didn't spend time with him, and if I didn't fix my thoughts on him every day, then that day was a failure. Then it didn't matter what else I did. I could have prayed for 10 people, I could have um, prepared an awesome message or done whatever. If I didn't spend time with him, 
then nothing else mattered. It was like, like the worst, it was like filthy rags, it was just works. And I, and I could see, and, and I, looking back now, I, was, I didn't realize I loved the Lord, but I, I was walking in fear in certain areas. I didn't have joy. And over the last several years, I've learned to develop this relationship with him where I'm fixing my thoughts on him. And as I've done that, I've just realized I have more joy, I have more peace than I've ever had. And it doesn't matter how much money I have in my account, it doesn't matter where I live, it doesn't matter where I drive, it doesn't matter who my friends are. I've learned that when I fix my eyes on him, I have peace and joy and I don't have fear. So I just want to encourage you this morning, if you feel like, hey, I'm tired of dealing with fear, fix your thoughts on him. Get a game plan on how you can spend time with the Lord every single day, in the morning, throughout the day. Say, hey, at lunchtime, I'm going to eat, but I'm going to spend five minutes praying. Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to spend a few minutes reading this chapter or, or this part of the, this portion of this chapter. When we fix our thoughts on him, the word promises he gives us peace.